0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Matthew chapter 11, as we get started this morning, be our final session in episode 21, Woes Upon the Privileged. We've had this sinful woman uh, standing by now for the last couple of weeks. We should get to her next week from Luke chapter 7. Before we begin, let's take time for silent prayer to assure that each one of us is equipped to handle spiritual truth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the privilege we have this morning to assemble together and to receive instruction. We thank you for the freedom in our nation that we still enjoy the, uh, the privilege and the opportunity to be here in a public building with a sign out front and we're not hidden away or hiding. We, we do recognize, though, Father, that the days are evil. That uh, perhaps some difficult days are in front of us. We just simply thank you that on this day the freedom is here. The believers are positive, and the word will go forth. And we thank you in Christ Jesus' name, Amen. Interesting times we live in. I was reading this morning of the uh, Have you been following the the uh, general convention of the Episcopal Church and their big uh, meeting uh, up in Ohio? They only meet every certain number of years and so forth, but this is their big year. Presbyterians are also meeting at the same time. So you can, if you follow both stories, the Episcopals are in uh, Ohio and the Presbyterians, I forget where they're meeting. Anyway, all these uh, resolutions and all these debates and all these other things and uh, pretty sad, pretty sad. Last night, the the vote came down, overwhelming vote came down that they uh, they could not affirm the unique. One and only salvation offered through Jesus Christ, the Episcopal Church. and they uh, they would not accept a resolution that said that faith in Christ is the only means of salvation. Three hundred and something or other to just over two hundred was the lopsided vote there. This was after they put the, uh, the the female bishop in charge of the entire Episcopal church and after they rejected, the resolution um, putting the moratorium on anoint on the, uh, they got women clergy and gay clergy now and blessings on gay marriage that they're, that they're now doing. And then the final straw was last night, the overwhelming vote. They could not declare that salvation was only by faith in Jesus Christ. So that's where the Episcopal Church has gone in our nation. And I think the remainder of the week will be, filled with stories of the more conservative diocese and so forth that are going to break away in order to, because what's happening is the Worldwide Anglican Communion now is going to tell the American Episcopal Church to take a hike. And uh, the United States Episcopal Church is going to be excluded from the Worldwide Anglican Communion on that and several other issues. So anyway, it's interesting the things we're looking at in current events and the state of uh, apostasy in our own nation. It is, uh, it is an interesting thing. If you know anybody presently attending an Episcopal church, you might pray for him, them. As, uh, that's the kind of thing they're dealing with. All right. I don't have any problems saying that Jesus Christ is uh, the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. Because that's what the Bible says. This morning's message, though, is not from John 14. It's from Matthew chapter 11, and we're dealing with the last portion of this section, verses uh, 25 through 30. It's a message of praise, come, and take. A message of praise, come, and take. And I'm going to go ahead. We have time later on. I want to do some things with the Bible software, so I'll get that running. Praise, come, and take, which brings us to point eight in our outline. The message of woe is followed by messages of praise, come, and take. Let's realize, of course, that Capernaum, by and large was negative, that uh, the cities that are being rebuked, Chorazin and Bethsaida, were by and large negative, but even in the midst of civilizations or cultures or locations where the, uh, the uh, dominant uh, character trait there is negative, there are individuals, there will be a remnant, there will be individuals who will pay attention to the rebuke that they will listen to the denunciation. The message is a denunciation from verse 20. He began to denounce the cities. Anytime the word of God goes forth in a corrective manner, as a a rebuke or a reproof or a correction, it's always designed to provoke change of thinking, provoke repentance, wake up believers to the reality of where they're headed and cause them to change course. And so, even in the midst of the negative volition that we have here, the negativity and the rejection where the majority, the vast majority of these cities is being rebuked, there is an opportunity on an individual basis for believers to respond to the Word of God. And so the message of woe is followed by messages of praise come and take. We have the uh, the verb praise there in verse 25. We have the The entreaty to come in verse 28, we'll be dealing with that this morning because it is a particle of entreaty. It is, if possible, even more impassioned than an imperative. And then uh, the imperative of take in verse 29. Uh, Actually, the imperative is a twin imperative in verse 29 because take is tied to learn where it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble and hard, and you will find rest for your souls. That's a promise, but that promise, of course, is conditional for those who take and those who learn. All right. So we have a message of woe followed by these messages. And we're just going to outline them now, A, B, and C, praise, come, and take. And uh, understand it for what it is. I didn't have a slideshow last week, so you got some of these points already, but I had to give them manually and you had to write them down. Now you can actually look at them. Studies say that memory retention is at its greatest when you hear a message and see a message and write the message down. So last week, all you had the chance to do was to hear it and write it down. This week, you have the chance to hear it, see it, and write it down and gain the uh, maximum memory capacity possible here. subpoint A, the imperative, not the imperative, but the statement of praise. The statement of praise from verse 25, the vocabulary there is amalageo which, if it was just simply amalegheo by itself, would be a confession, like in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We struggle a little bit in the English language because we use the word confess both privately or internally and publicly or externally, right? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about how we can use the same word confess which is very, you know, as far as your sins are concerned, we don't want to hear about them. That's none of our business. That's between you and the Lord. We pause for silent prayer, and you've got the opportunity to, uh, in, the, in the privacy of your own priesthood before the Lord, you can describe the, uh, the drive over here this morning and the traffic that took place out there and whatever else, okay? And you can confess. And that's private, internal, because only God looks upon the heart. Only God, you know, the adversary, devils, demons, none of them, they can't read your mind. Your silent prayer is between you and the Lord. And that's the, the advantage of that. But we also use the term confession for external witnesses. When you vocalize it, when you verbalize it, when it's very public. Now, in the English, we use the same word, confess, for both circumstances. In Greek, though, it adds the it has the prefix. It adds the X in front of the homologo, and it turns homologo into ex And the X, if you think exit, if you think going out, that lets you, you know, that you're... You're uh, exhaling your confession. It's getting out there. It's in a very public manner. So that's what Jesus Christ is doing here. It says, at that time, Jesus uh, said, I, ex amalegeo you, Father. I am externally confessing you. And that's what we want to get a handle on because we should do the same thing. Our praise, I mean, there's a dozen different words for praise, but this is a form of praise that you and I can do as we externally confess our agreement with God the Father, with His wisdom, with His plan, with His design, with His purpose. We ought to be able to acknowledge openly and joyfully. See, when it says every uh, knee will bend, every tongue shall confess. ex Examalegeo. It's going to be it's not going to be an internal agreement. It's going to be a verbal external agreement. Now, you and I won't have a problem with that. <laughs> We're going to love to do this. Let me tell you, I'm going I'm to drop to one knee so fast it's, it'll make your head spin. It's going to be a blessing to be able to just shout out, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the unbelievers will also be compelled to make this confession as as at the great white throne judgment uh, as their final act before being cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. That's the... The Philippians 2.11 passage. But there are other applications of ex make this clear. But let's not lose sight of the fact that at its core, homilageo is an agreement. It is saying the same thing that God is saying on any particular subject. As we... Uh, oh, I didn't start my clicker this morning. Oh, well. As we... Um, if I had a clicker... I would underline your homo there and your logeo and you'd understand homo from, you know, all kinds of other words that have homo prefixes, meaning the same homogenous. OK, uh, but logeo. So homo logeo is to say the same thing. And that's what a confession is, because unless you're in agreement with God, it's not a confession. You've committed a sin. God says it's a sin. It's, it's, un, it's unacceptable. It violates the standard of righteousness. If you're not in agreement with God's viewpoint on that, you're not making a confession. You might be making excuses. You might be blaming somebody else. You might be saying, Well, okay, I did it, but it wasn't my fault. You're not homo legatoing. You're heterologatoing. You're saying something different than what God says about your sin. Confession is a statement of agreement, that is, an acknowledgement. And it's it no different when it becomes externalized rather than internalized. With an ex homo it is still a confession, a statement of agreement. You're praising God for what he's doing in agreement with what God's doing. And so these are the sub points here under praise. Praise confession is a statement of agreement with the glory of God's plan. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Jesus Christ had an appreciation for the glory of God's plan. For the glory of God's plan. I'm convinced we don't do nearly enough of this in our prayers. I'm convinced that most human prayers are human oriented and therefore selfish by and large. Focusing on the give me, give me, give me, give me. And not spending the time on the praise and worship and adoration and the declaration to him. Of how uh, worthy he is. That's why in the Lord's prayer, the pattern that we have there is hallowed be thy name. You've got to start with the praise and adoration towards Him. And, uh, and it shouldn't be hard to do. Any, any relationship of love where we have this love for Him and this appreciation for what He's done, it ought to be the easiest thing in the world. You know, if, you, if you're finding it hard to find something to, to praise your wife about or tell her how much you love her, well, you better examine, why, why am I having trouble praising her? Is it because I'm having trouble, in my own capacity, appreciating her or loving her? See, if, if if the praise area is growing thin and kind of weak, what is that really a reflection of? Is it a reflection of the love or appreciation that's just gone? Okay? We ought to be able to praise God if indeed we do love God and do appreciate the wisdom of what he's done. Job was able to praise God and say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And that's a remarkable maturity level, obviously, uh, particularly since Job had no scripture to fall back on, no written Bible. So praise confession is a statement of agreement with the glory of God's plan. So we can acknowledge everything that he's doing in our lives. We can acknowledge the will of God. We can acknowledge what he's doing as different things happen and praise him for the wisdom of his plan. Secondly, he confessed, he praised confessed, and I'm using that as a hyphenated term to translate ex Jesus Christ praise confessed praise hyphen confessed that the father's design in hiding and revealing was well pleasing you'll notice there was hiding and there was revealing in verse 25 and it was well pleasing in verse 26 the hiding was well pleasing the revealing was well pleasing need to remember this verse for next Sunday night. <laughs> Cliff had a question at the end of our ministry workshop Sunday night, and I think this passage addresses the question he was asking. All right. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All too often we focus our prayers on what would be well-pleasing in our sight. <laughs> right? And then we tack a little, if it could be your will, Father, onto the end of it. Right, When what we're really saying is this would be well-pleasing in our sight and we would really like it if this could happen. So can you make this your will, please? When the more biblical prayer is identifying what his will is and praising him because his will is so glorious. That's what Jesus Christ does here in his praise confession. Not only does the Father hide and reveal, I want you to see... That the Son likewise. This is a part of how the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. This is part of the Father who hands everything to the Son. The Father hides, reveals, hides slash reveals the Son. And the Son hides slash reveals the Father. Again, verse 27. We saw the Father's hiding and revealing in verse 25, but here in verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And when it says all things, you've got to figure out in context what is the all things that's referencing there. And we realize that uh, He's accepted as the one who's doing the handing over, so the Father's not included in the all things there. But uh, other than the Father, everything that the Father has then delegated is being given here to the Son. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And of course, realizing that, um, that there's a hiding and a revealing part in there in verse 25. It's not restated in verse 27, but we understand it there. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So I hope we can spend some time focusing on what the Father is doing and then the Son, having seen what the Father is doing, what the Son starts doing. Because this is the pattern. and is revealed to us in the life of Christ, but it continues to this very day. Because if you think about it, what is Christ doing now? Actively working now as the head of the church. Seated at the Father's right hand. See, interceding on our behalf. Functioning as our advocate, as our defense attorney. What is the sun doing right now? And uh, we've got to deal with... And some of those I think we'll do, we'll do more, not necessarily perhaps in this class, but in more of our ministry workshop classes as those come up. All right. Now, we have the particle to come under point B. Come. A tiny little word. You can spend the next 20 years on this word. Verse 28 The word, as it's used there, is duta, D-E-U-T-E. And it's so unique in not only its structure, in other words, the the, um, inflection, the way that it's formed, and its uh, function in the sentence, it is so unique that you can read... at least six different um, analysis of the text, and scholars will give you six different uh, usages. In other words, you pull up on a text and you read, and the the person tells you this is an adverb. Then you open up another expert and they tell you this is an adjective. Another will tell you this is a conjunction. Another tells you it's an interjection. It's a particle. It's an imperative verb. Now, we're accustomed to thinking of it as an imperative verb because in English, when, if I just point at you and say, come, what is that? It's an imperative verb. Okay? Unless I am also in the process of going somewhere and I say, come with me. I say, come on, let's go. And if I'm including myself in that, as well as the, pe- the people I'm addressing, then it becomes what's called an oratory particle. An oratory particle, which is actually extremely common in Hebrew in the Old Testament. And so uh, you, you got oratory particles all the time in the Old Testament. And so in all likelihood, what we have here in this text anyway, Matthew being the, the dominant Jewish Gospel of the Four, uh, I, I think it's best to take this as an oratory particle. But however you take it, it doesn't matter. You, we're still going to translate it with the English word come. I just think some of the the, uh, the nuances are going to be slightly um, colored based upon how we take this. Obviously, if it's an imperative, we want to know okay, is it, a, is it a present active imperative? Is it a continuous action? Am I supposed to come uh, and always be coming? or is it a uh, is it a is it an heiress is it a one time deal just come once and and you know once you've come to Christ and you're permanently there in Christ is this a salvation passage is this a provision passage come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest is that a gospel call or is it a is it an encouragement that when you are um, burdened burden down that there is a provision that is to be made there to make provision for that and when it says take my yoke upon you and learn from me there's no there's no doubt because by the time we get to take and we get to learn we're dealing with with aorist imperatives. imperative so i think even though there is room for some debate on on the duta on on the the actual application of that um I think it's by virtue of verse 29, defining verse 28, I think we can handle it as the imperative, the last of those six suggested usages for duta. And we can take it not as a, not as a uh, conjunction, not as an adjective, not as an adverb, not as an interjection, although it kind of shouts at you, yeah? um, but as an imperative. Same as we have with the two imperatives there in verse 29. Take and, uh, and learn. And I think what we're having there is typical Hebrew usage. You make a statement and then you make a more fuller statement, unfolding what you meant by the first summary statement. Say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now we'll go and give you some gory detail on step-by-step process. So come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Well now, how do I do that? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All right, so this is, the, uh, this is the application of it here. And anyone's available to do this, by the way, even those that are receiving this, uh, this rebuke. Because who's the, uh, who is the invitee or who is the, who's being invited by this imperative to come? It's remarkable is the, 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 the audience here of his rebuke absolutely being condemned, absolutely. He's, he's telling them on the Day of Judgment, Sodom is going to have a better time of it than you're going to have. And then he says, now come to me. Now come to me. And I, I just find this whole concept encouraging because, you know, there's, there's, it's a long slide there to that sin and to death. It might be shorter in some cases, longer in other cases, but if, 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 if you're still here, <laughs> you've got that invitation. You've got that uh, opportunity to repent, to turn things around, to come. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And so if you think about a remnant in the midst of Capernaum and, and, and Chorazin and Bethsaida, and they are weary, they are heavy laden. They're living in the midst of this this crooked and perverse generation that is rejecting all these miracles. They're rejecting the Christ. And that's that's bearing these guys down. Like Lot, we're told Lot, his righteous soul was vexed day by day by virtue of living in Sodom and the surroundings and the things that were happening there. So come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. See, that's a... uh, it's a wonderful invitation. That's an open invitation. You know? You got struggles? There's provision. There's provision. And I will give you rest. And that's the promise. All right. Other applications of Duta, uh Matthew 4 19. A bunch of them here in Matthew, like I say. And and I think it really reflects the, we call it a Hebraism. That's where the Greek is is really uh, affected by uh, the Hebrew language. But Matthew 4.19, where instead of being rendered come, it's rendered follow me. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. he says, Dutah. He says, come, follow me. Come on, let's go. And it's an encouraging message. Are you sick of being out there in the boat? Come on, follow me. In chapter 11 and verse 28, the passage we have here. In chapter 22 and verse 4. In chapter 22 and verse 4. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened livestock, are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Now, this is a parable, of course, but it's pointing ahead to the future millennial kingdom and the invitation to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm another to his business. See, an invitation, by virtue of what it is, is an invitation. It can be received... It can be rejected. You know, have you gone to every single function you've ever been invited to in your entire life? Oh, of course not. I've been invited to my 20th high school reunion next month. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going. Didn't go to my 10th. Or if they didn't know where I was back then. In between year 10 and year 20, though, my Wonderful sister who I love dearly. Biological sister and a sister in the Lord. She gave me up. Can you believe that? Absolutely. Gave me up. Name, address, email, everything. So the reunion committee knows where I am. But it's an invitation. I'm going to decline. Say no, thank you. Don't want any part of it. And here, coming to the wedding feast, and they're turning it down. They're turning it down. Uh, 25 and verse 34. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And there, of course, they're going to have questions. Well, when did we do this? And how are we worthy to do that? And so on and so forth. But still, it's the invitation to bring the, uh, the sheep into the millennial kingdom, even as the goats are being cast into the fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels uh Mark 117 and Mark 631 I think well, maybe they're not parallel if they were parallel I usually mark them if they're parallel Mark 117 is the fisher of men parallel and Mark 631 Ah, huh, no that's a that's a unique one. Um The apostles were gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. (laughs) I can understand that. All right. You just get so busy with all kinds of chaos and things on a Sunday, and then you realize, I didn't even eat today. What am I doing? All right. So... The, the, the particle or the, the oratory particle or the imperative, I think it's best to take it imperatively as a command come. You know, and it's an invitation. You can turn it down if you want, but if you do so, then what do you, where do you expect to find the provision for your, your heavy laden? Where do you expect to find provision for your testing, for your conflict? Because the promise of, I will give you rest is uh, conditional upon their obedience to this command here to come. I mean, when you look at verse 28, is there any rest for those who don't come? No. And when you look at verse 29, is there any rest for those who don't take His yoke and who don't learn from Him? No. It's conditional. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and... It's a consequence, conditional upon your taking and your learning. You will find rest for your souls. If you don't take and you don't learn, then you won't find. Make sense? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, so there's the imperative to come. And this, this, by the way, this, this is not a gospel message. A lot of times it's used that way. A lot of times it's used that way. Um, there are other places where we have come, and there's other, and if we have time at the end of this hour, I don't mind. We can do a, a Bible search and find the uses of come. Uh, Isaiah 55 jumps right out. And there's other places where you have such invitations. All right, point C, take. Now, when we get to the, the imperatives of verse 29, it, it becomes very clear. Even if the linguist can debate the uh, aspect of, of the verb in verse 28, these are undebatable. Indebatable, undebatable, non-debatable. They're both active imperatives. iro and Monthano. You want to get these down. iro A-I-R-O, number 142, for take, to lift up, to raise up. To take upon oneself and carry what has been raised up or to bear. When the Lord told uh, that man to take up his pallet and go home. Okay. We're told to take up our cross and follow Christ. Here we're told in this passage, we're told to take his yoke. And this is the mechanics, the process of how we come in verse 28. All who are weary and heavy laden and are provided the rest. Does that make sense? Verse 29 explains the how of verse 28. Okay? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This imperative is tied to the imperative to learn. Also an aorist active imperative. They're used in tandem. They're used in pair. Monthano, number 3129, which means to learn. Uh, The disciples were mathetes, disciples, learners. The verb monthano means to learn. Why is it that we have to remind learners that they're supposed to learn? (laughs) Because when you stop learning, you're no longer a learner. You're no longer a disciple. Does that make sense? See, and maybe this is probably 30 years ago, we wouldn't have had to teach this class maybe. But we have a generation that has so confused verbs, particularly verbs of of doing that produce being. You know what I'm talking about? See, in order for me to be a murderer, what do I have to do? I have to murder somebody. Right. And is there a certain number of times I have to murder somebody? You know, do I have to murder 10 people before I get the label? No, the very first person I ever murder, I am a murderer, right? Uh, the only way for me to become a thief is to steal. Now, do I have to steal a certain dollar amount? Do I have to steal a certain number of times? How many times do I have to steal before I am a thief? And if I give up my stealing ways, do I, am I then no longer a thief? Am I now a former thief? How does that work? Okay, the only way to become an adulterer. Yeah, I mean you get the point. You, you, verbs, and by doing the activity, you become the term. Okay, now the world has totally thrown that out because they'll tell you that the homosexual is born that way. See, it's not because of what he's done. It's what he is. So they turn around backwards. They say this is what I am, and so this is what I do. Rather than saying, no, these are the deeds you did, therefore, you see, you see how they turn that around? So if you're going to be a disciple, and we're told, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. I think it's the majority. I hate to say it. And that's not just by current events. That's not just by what I talked about in the news. It's by the parable of the sower. Those, the seed sown by the road, the seed sown in the thorny ground, seed sown in the rocky ground. It's only the good soil that are disciples. I think we got born-again believers that regenerate. They're going to be in heaven for all eternity. But they're not disciples at this present point of time. Why not? Because they're not abiding in the Word. So, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In other words, you're not a disciple. You're not learning. You're doing your own thing. You're, trying, you're doing what seems right in your eyes. You're bearing your own burdens instead of casting them on the Lord. There's no rest in that. You need to take the yoke of Christ and learn from Him. That's where the, the provision of rest comes from. You will find rest for your souls. Now, they're not present imperatives, but they're rather aorist imperatives. And I find that to be interesting as well because a present imperative is a continuous, all the time, constant, be filled with the Spirit. That's all the time, constant, all day, every day. But these are aorist imperatives, which means that On occasion, when the situation presents itself, when you're under this kind of testing, use this resource. This is an as-needed. It's kind of the difference between a continuous medication and an as-needed medication. Does that make sense? The difference between a present imperative and an aorist imperative. When pastors are told to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and instruction, those aren't continuous imperatives. We don't get up in the pulpit and continuously, all you know, the whole hour, every hour, every message of every week, we're not constantly chewing everybody out. We do when it's necessary. But then there's other times that other things are necessary. Encouragement and, and instruction and so forth. So when you have an aorist imperative, the aorist is just simply a, a point in time. So, if this is a time of of being weary, if this is a time of being heavy laden, if this is a time that you've noticed that the Lord's putting more and more and more on your shoulders, then now is the time to apply this imperative. During your seasons of weariness, during your seasons of heavy laden, come to Christ. Take His yoke, learn from Him. And you can obey those imperatives and you can receive the promises here of rest. Anyway, the imperative is manthano. The imperative is learn. Learn. If you're a believer that has stopped learning, then you're no longer a disciple. Like if you've given up stealing, you're no longer a thief. Say, a practicing thief. You're a former thief. You may still have some legal repercussions if they catch up to you. <laughs> right? But if you stop learning, you're no longer a disciple. Because a disciple is a learner. And that becomes important. Point D. The Lord's response to believers volitionally coming is to provide rest. The Lord's response to believers volitionally coming is to provide rest. You don't come, you don't rest. The provision's not there. It's like expecting to be uh, cleansed from all unrighteousness. Well, if you don't confess, third class condition, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we don't confess our sins, are we cleansed? Are we restored to fellowship? Are we walking in the light? No. No. If we come to him, if we take his yoke, if we learn from him, yes, he will provide rest. If we don't, <laughs> you get more weary and more weary and more heavy laden and more heavy laden how how you know how long do you intend to how much worse do you want it to get? Jeremiah six verse sixteen. And it's interesting, you you think Jeremiah was, he and Daniel were contemporaries, and it's fair to say that, but Jeremiah was already an old man by the time Daniel was a kid. So yes, they were contemporaries, they overlapped, but not for that long before Jeremiah passed and and Daniel's left reading his book after his death. But you'd think here in Jeremiah chapter 6 that it was written in, in the 21st century. And. Um, hmm, You know, he's got a message to deliver. And he's not even sure they're going to pay attention to it. Uh, verse nine, thus says the Lord of hosts, they will thoroughly glean as the vine, the remnant of Israel, pass your hand again like a grape gatherer over the branches to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear. Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. See, and it's just like we're dealing with the Capernaum. Their ears are closed. They've seen the miracles. They've rejected them. They're not paying any attention to what the Christ has to say. And yet he is giving an encouragement to come, take and and learn. Because there may be a remnant. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary with holding it in. Pour it out on the children in the street and on the gathering of young men together. For both husband and wife shall be taken, the aged and the very old. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and their wives together. For I will stretch, my hand, stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For even from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. When you have a culture that's so given over to materialism that even those who should be setting the spiritual example are caught up in the same, the same thing, you got trouble. That's where it was in Jeremiah's day. Everyone's greedy for gain, and from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the, bro- uh, the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. That verse right there, I think, condemns the majority of what I call the, the, the pop Christianity, churchianity in the United States today. Healing the brokenness of my people superficially. Give them just a be happy, feel good, homily, things aren't so bad, peace, peace, but there is no Peace. And they're not providing the meat of the word that will sustain them. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be cast down. Says so the Lord, I listen to the radio today. Things that would have made people blush in my, when I was in high school. Now you got 14-year-olds on MySpace.com talking about all kinds of things and they don't even know how to blush. Then verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Notice it's conditional. You want to keep going the world's way? There's no rest down those paths. But when you're walking the straight and narrow, when you're walking in the will of God, then you've got this provision. You will find rest for your souls. But they said, no, we will not walk in it. Isn't that wild? Shouldn't surprise us. That's the the nature of it. So, the rest, if you want the Lord's rest there in these times, better get yoked. Better get yoked up. The... um, And this is our motivation. The motivation for believers volitionally taking the yoke of Christ is the easy and light conditions for those who do so. You realize I'm offering you this morning is the easy way out. But it's the easy way out under divine viewpoint. And it may not look like the easy way out under human viewpoint. When Satan offers his snares under human viewpoint... It appears to be the easy way out. Say, marriage is a wreck, so, well, let's just bail. Easy way out. Just divorce and get rid of it, and no more problems. I've yet to see a divorce that didn't create more problems than existed prior to the event. Just created more problems, created more issues. Say, easy way out is that what we're looking for is that the way of escape take away my problems <laughs> taking the yoke of jesus christ like taking the cross of jesus christ may have an appearance of uh, unpleasantness difficulty struggle but in the divine viewpoint way of looking at it jesus christ calls it easy and he calls it light now Understand the imagery here it's it's unlike the cross where you pick it up and, and, and you're carrying that thing the The metaphor here of the yoke is is, uh, is is established as a two party deal right now, I'm a city boy, so I struggle with farming type illustrations, but at least I, I've seen movies and I understand that a yoke You've got this bar that goes across and the hoops or however straps and however else they got it. But then those oxen are in pairs. Right? And so there's one and it's wrapped around his neck or shoulders or whatever. And then you've got another ox and it's wrapped around his. Okay? And they're yoked. And together they're going to be pulling. Now picture this. Because it's Jesus Christ on the, on the other half of that yoke. When He says, take my yoke upon you, who's in the other half of that yoke? That's why we're told to cast all our burdens upon Him. We've got this wonderful tandem going on here where I'm yoked up with Jesus Christ. See? And so, is there any wonder that it's easy and light? Consider what He's capable of Bearing. Consider what he's capable of doing. And when you're encountering a test or a struggle or a a fear or anything, instead of taking an inventory and figuring out what your resources are and how you can handle it, stop to think, well, you know what? Jesus can probably handle this a whole lot better. And I'm yoked up with him. I'm yoked up with him. What an opportunity. And learn from me. You know how you train a young ox to do this kind of thing? You pair them up with an old ox that's been doing it for a while. And I forget which left or right, which one you want to put the you want to put the dominant one, the trained one on one side, and the learner goes on the other side, and I forget how that works. Like I say, I'm a city boy, I don't do anything. I just understand a concept. I want to be yoked up with Jesus Christ. And learn from him. Learning by doing. By not just dumping the load and acting like it's not there, but by bearing the load to whatever destination he wants me to take it. So The ox doesn't choose where that load's got to go. He just bears it until the one that designed it removes the load, or until it gets to where you're going. So when we endure, as, as, the, temp- as the promise comes in 1 Corinthians 10, That he will not tempt us beyond that which we're able to bear, but with the testing will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to, to do what? To endure it. To endure it. See? So it's not about getting away from your problems, it's about partnering up with Jesus Christ, taking that yoke, reaping the provision that he makes. That's our motivation. Now, if you want to do it without Christ, you can. But why? Think about it. You could have done that as an unbeliever. An unbeliever can do that. You're going to solve all your problems with your own human effort, with your own wisdom, your own ability. Say, oh, I'm smart enough, I'll figure this out. Or oh, I'm rich enough, I can I can pay for this. No problem, we'll take care of all that. Or you're going to realize no, Jesus Christ is the provision. I've got resources available because I'm in Christ. See, the testing that's placed upon you is in the human realm. No temptations overtaking you, but such as is common to man. You have an affliction that's entirely human, but you've got resources that are entirely divine. We need to use those resources. We need to take this yoke. Now, finally, just by way of reminder, with point nine. God's sovereign actions of hiding and revealing do not alter man's accountability to come and take. God's sovereign actions of hiding and revealing do not alter man's accountability to come and take. You and I are accountable. We've been commanded to come. We've been commanded to take. We've been commanded to learn. If we do, there's provision. If we don't, there's consequences. It's all about decisions and consequences. Accountability is decisions and consequences. Remember how we defined accountability. The just principle of decisional consequences. You're accountable. Are you going to come? You've been invited to. Are you going to take? You've been commanded to. Are you going to learn? have been commanded to. Do so for blessing. Do not do so for discipline. We are accountable. We are accountable. I love the way that both verses 20 through 24 presents God's sovereignty in hiding and revealing and what He does and the conditions He establishes. But it also teaches the accountability. Sodom was accountable. Tyre was accountable. Capernaum's accountable. That Capernaum is more accountable. But they're accountable. Likewise, believers in verses 25 through 30 were accountable. We're told to come, take, and learn. And if we don't, we're accountable. So we have both sovereignty in what God's doing and we have the accountability for the choices we make in how do we respond to what God's doing. All right. Any questions on that? Are you familiar? Do you have any other passages that that you're uh, appreciative of? Any other come passages besides this one? I mean, this is a great one. I like this one. They make songs out of this one. You get some good four-part harmonies and some quartet music out of uh, out of this verse here. Isaiah fifty-five starts with a ho. I like that. Ho. That's a true interjection. I don't think that come is an interjection in Matthew 11. But ho that that is an interjection. Everyone who thirsts come to the waters. That's an invitation. That's an invitation. And who's invited? Everyone who thirsts. And who doesn't thirst? Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why? Because it's free. (laughs) It's a free gift. But you still have to come to get it. Say, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Anyway, that's Isaiah 55. That's, that's one that jumps out of my mind. When I think of come passages, it's Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And it's Isaiah 55.1. Revelation 22, yes. Yep, Revelation 22. I'm surprised I didn't have that in here. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. I missed it by a verse. Seventeen. There it is. Thank you. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come," and let the one who hears say, "Come," and the one let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. It's a free gift. It's a free gift, and it's an invitation. I love these passages. Any others that you're aware of? Well, we looked at that one a little bit earlier in uh, was that Matthew twenty-two four? I think it was Matthew twenty-two four. Very good. You were listening. You were the only one that was listening. He sent out the other slaves saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat and livestock, and all the butchered all are butchered and everything is ready to eat, come to the wedding feast. Yeah. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Alright. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for this lesson. I pray for Your hand of blessing upon us as we go forth. Uh, safety on those crazy roads out there. And Father, just uh, thankful. You have designed a plan that includes the teaching of your word on this day. Double portion, Father. We get class this morning, class this evening, if you delay long enough in sending your son. Father, we uh we thank you. We grow discouraged, we read some gloomy things about uh what other churches are doing, and it's uh it's a discouragement. But Father, at the same time we know as the darkness grows darker, our light shines brighter, and uh, we are we are one day closer to the return of our Saviour. So Father, your word promised that uh that the wickedness shall increase, that the apostasy would come. It's just uh, startling when it's as blatant as it is. We thank You and we praise You in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.